0: Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. We are the podcast which remembers what it was like to grow up as a child in 1970s Britain, and take a special interest in the role that television played in our lives then. It's good to be back with you again, and I hope we can bring back some happy memories of the 1970s. The time of my childhood is one that's not dwelt upon as much by the mainstream media as I think it should be, so there's plenty for us to get our teeth into. Thanks, as always, for your comments and memories. I received mostly kind words from people who are listening, not just in the UK, but throughout the world. So wherever you're listening to this episode, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to share your memories with me, you can do so on our blog, www.my70sTVChildhood.com, tweet at 70s TV Childhood, or email me, Oliver, at my dot tvchildhood.com For those of you who listen to new episodes on their release, we're going to carry on releasing new episodes every fortnight, at least for the next couple of episodes, before getting back to our weekly release routine. The main reason is that my recording schedule has been interrupted by a bout of COVID-19, from which I'm now fully recovered, I'm glad to say, but it means that I'm playing catch-up with scheduled interviews and so on. If you're binging episodes to later date, my COVID reference will demonstrate how easily contemporary references age in popular culture terms, so should normally be avoided in broadcast. Anyway, on to today's memories. In the UK at the time of recording, it's a time of year when joyful parents and horrified children look forward to the ritual, which is back to school time. After a seemingly endless summer holiday, It's suddenly time to go shopping for school clothes, trainers and pencil cases. I could never quite work out what everything in that geometry set was for. Anyway, amidst a general air of depression from children and relief from parents, it's time to get back into the classroom, or, for those at a certain age, to change schools. School plays a big part in popular culture today, and has been a ready source for drama and comedy. In recent times, we've had shows like The in Us, looking at the painful and often hilarious angst of trying to fit in and be popular as a school-aged teenager. We've also had soap-style dramas like Waterloo Road, where students, teachers and their daily lives are the main thread to the story. There have also been some satirical dramas like Teachers and Bad Education, where the not-so-perfect lives of teachers themselves are played on for maximum comic effort. And let's not forget what's probably the biggest school-related phenomenon in popular youth culture, Hogwarts and Harry Potter. Looking back though, like so many things, it wasn't quite the same in the 1970s, at least not to begin with. As regular listeners will remember, I went to primary school in Padgate, which was a village, but in the 1970s, gradually became part of the Greater Warrington-Newtown Conurbation. I really liked the school, and I enjoyed my early years there from Mrs Dutton's infant class through to Mr Jones's senior class in my last two years. I always remember there was lots going on in terms of sports, music and drama, which I threw myself into with gusto. We even had a future film and TV star at our primary school, the actress Polly Walker, whose mother was also our art teacher. Polly not only went on to star in Hollywood films with the likes of Harrison Ford, but, even more impressively in my book, had a leading role in Line of Duty alongside Ted Hastings. Mother of God! That caps it all, really, doesn't it? As I say, I I enjoyed primary school. I was reasonably bright, I think, so the academic work was fine, and played to my thirst for knowledge. And I always remember classes being lively but pretty well behaved, even though we had 40 or 50 children in every class. The other thing I remember particularly was that television was a common interest for most of us and a ready source of conversation every day, hence part of the inspiration for my 70s TV childhood. Growing up as a small child, depictions of school on television were not that representative. The first memories I have of seeing school presented on TV were in Please Sir, which was set in a London secondary modern, Fen Street School. It was first broadcast in the late 60s and early 70s, so I must have watched repeats of it at some point. It was not really a children's TV show, and the image of school it showed me was, frankly, quite baffling. The children in teacher Bernard Hedges, played by John Alderton's class, appeared to be very grown up, and dabbled with drink and cigarettes, and most of the staff appeared to be left over from the 1950s. The London setting was also a bit of a problem for us Northern children to relate to. Anyway, the show was very popular, and led to a spin-off, The Fen Street Gang, which followed Hedges' charges as they went out to live their lives in the East End of London, getting into various scrapes. At the other extreme, we had portrayals of school life from Enid Blyton adaptations and from Dickens' classic serials, which, once again, didn't appear to be very relevant or representative. Mallory Towers, the rugby school portrayed in Tom Brown's school days, and Dothorboy's Boys Hall – were a long way removed from Padgate Church of England Primary School, so nothing I could really relate to. Yes, there seemed to be a reluctance to feature schools in anything other than a halcyon light in children's television programmes. That was, at least, until February 1978, when that changed forever. I remember the first episode of Grange Hill vividly. I was in my last year at primary school, and I and my friends were getting ready for the big move to secondary school. I had never seen anything on kids' TV like it in my whole life. Even the opening comic style animations featured fighting, bullying, and the famous sausage being taken from a boy's plate. Immediately, my attention was grabbed. The first episode. Featured a group of eleven year olds, like me, on their first day at a new comprehensive school, Grange Hill. We were introduced to would be Jack the Lad, Tucker Jenkins, played by Todd Carty, sassy Tricia Yates, played by Michelle Herbert, posh boy fallen on the hard times, Justin Bennett, played by Robert Morgan, and, most memorably, Benny Green, played by Terry Sue Pat around whom many of the most powerful early storylines were based. These young children were shown not wanting to go to school. They were arguing with their parents and being rude to their teachers. Nothing like this had ever been seen on children's television before. It's hard to imagine now, but the programme was hugely controversial and generated lots of column inches in the press at the time, debating whether this was suitable viewing for Britain's children. Regular listeners may remember our guest Tim Worthington, who referred to this in one of our earlier episodes. I remember a lot of kids who, you know, weren't that restricted in terms of watching TV, weren't allowed to watch Grange Hill. Yeah, which, that's right. You know, my mother was a teacher in a tough comprehensive in Liverpool and never saw a problem with Grange Hill. I think she, you know, she saw worse misbehaviour every day and had to deal with it. And we were never, ever preventive of watching it. And it was always strange when, you know, other children would be around and they would be asked, are you allowed to watch Grange Hill at your house? And if they weren't, we weren't allowed to. And that yeah. was that was always a burning injustice. I, I really resented that. <laughs> you can hear a lot more from Tim in our episodes on The Sunday Gang. And also, I Do Have a Wooden Heart, uh, which featured the BBC's Pinocchio adaptation. And also more at timworthington.org. Yes, like Tim, several of my school friends were not allowed to watch Grange Hill. It was allegedly subversive and promoted bad behavior in schools, which undermined the authority of teachers, which was seen as really, really important. Yes, really, even in the late 1970s. With hindsight, we shouldn't be surprised as Grange Hill was created by the great Phil Redmond, who went on to bring us the legendary Brookside in the 1980s which was much beloved by Northwestern teenagers of the time. Apparently, Redmond had been trying to get Grange made for several years before BBC decided to take a chance and commission an initial run of nine shows. The impact of the show was immediate. Next day at school, my friends and I were incredulous. Did you see that new programme yesterday? Those who had watched it were asking each other. And for those who hadn't watched it, it became the must-see new tv show well apart from those who we were just talking about whose parents had decided it was not suitable viewing for their youngsters that initial rough edge was even satirized in the young ones when if you remember the sketch Hippy neil's parents asked why he couldn't have been in a nice program like grange hill so that's settled then we'll organize a protest against school uniforms right can use the banners left over from the last protest we organised so that racism wouldn't be an issue in this school. Good, then that's what we'll do. I'll get mucker, trucker, ducker and sucker. You get spaz. But I am spaz. Oh, oh well, I'd better get spaz as well then. But we've got to hurry. Oh, sorry, Mr Liberal. We were in a hurry. And our new pair of young scruffy tearaways. Don't you realise the way you act is influencing millions of children to talk cockney and being subordinate? Oh, come on, sir, don't be silly. We're the only kids in Britain who never say. Saved- it was also rather scary. There we all were in our last year of primary school, feeling a mixture of excitement and apprehension about moving on to new schools. And then came this TV drama, which showed secondary school to be an exciting, but ultimately quite dangerous place, where petty theft and bullying were rife. Teachers could be gruff to the point of aggression, and where extracurricular activities consisted of either playing football or shoplifting. But in spite of all of that, the school was a place where children showed a great resolve to do the right thing and always seemed to learn from their mistakes. Above all, it was well-written and the cast were truly believable as this diverse group thrown together only by the fact they having to go to the same secondary school. I mentioned Benny Green earlier, For me, Benny was the essence of the first series. He came from a poor background, and his mother was always working hard and trying to do the right thing. One of the first major plot lines was about Benny not having the right school uniform and being made an example of at school because he didn't have a grain shield blazer. This was groundbreaking stuff, but also something children could relate to, particularly those who had similar experiences to Benny. It was also heartening that in the main, the other children helped Benny out, and eventually, I seem to remember, he managed to get the elusive school blazer, which allowed him to do what most children want more than ever, which is to fit in. Benny was also a talented footballer, and a parallel storyline ran about him not having football boots, and therefore not being able to play football. Yet again, his friends came to the rescue, I can't remember exactly how, but Benny got hold of some boots and was able to play football and became, of course, the star of the team. If this wasn't enough, Benny was also subject to racist abuse, largely from the series bully, Michael Doyle, who called him Gollywog. Now, yet again, this was a first on children's TV, putting racist behavior right at the centre of a programme set in a school. As generally did happen, Doyle got his comeuppance in the end, and Benny became firm friends with Tucker and his mate Alan, and they became the main male friendship group in the show. Similarly, the trials and tribulations of the rebellious Trisha Yates made sure there was a strong, central female character, and, like the other plot lines, there was some serious stuff in there about growing up, as well as lots of comic incidents along the way. The other big character was the aforementioned Tucker Jenkins. Todd Carty, who would later go on to fame as Mark Fowler in EastEnders, was by far the most popular character in the first series of Grange Chill. His cheeky, cockney charm, combined with an unfailing ability to get into trouble, made him a hero for schoolchildren in the late 70s. No matter what scrapes he got into, He always emerged a better person for the experience and, like all good heroes, underneath that naughty bad boy exterior, beat a heart of gold. The character's popularity meant that he seemed to stay at Grange Hill far longer than he should have done. Maybe he had to do some exam retakes or something. But he and his friends were our contemporaries, although Carty himself was actually 15 when he started playing Tucker and we went through school with them. He even got his own spin-off, Tooker's Luck, which featured him and a few of his Grangehill contemporaries dealing with life after school in the mid-80s. Grangehill changed the face of children's TV programming. It gave a platform for serious issues relating to school children to be examined, and Phil Redmond was not afraid to shock, as he showed again later in Brookside. Over the years, subjects covered on the show included teenage pregnancy, child abuse, homelessness, a character suffering from cancer, problems about emerging sexuality, AIDS, divorce of parents, gun crime, alcoholism, and several deaths of popular characters. The most famous hard edge storyline broadcast in the 1980s followed the descent of one of the most popular characters, Zamo McGuire, from ordinary student to heroin addict. And the famous Just Say No campaign followed, with a hit record and a trip to the White House for the cast to meet Nancy Reagan. There were also lots of other storylines along the way, ranging from shenanigans with the school radio station, a merger with a local grammar school, Rodney Bennett, which brought along the famous Mr Bronson, and also adventures with Harry at the school donkey. I never remember having a school donkey at our school, but let's leave that to one side. Crenshaw ran for 30 years, until 2008, and over hundreds of episodes, and it became a staple part of British children's television. When it was cancelled in 2008, it did appear that it had run out of steam, rather, but I suggest that it was more a case that other programmes had caught up and the social realism shown in Grange Hill, which was so shocking in its early days, had become the norm in 21st century children's programming. Even so, it's still hard to overestimate what a stir it made on its debut and the controversy which came with it. Thankfully for me and my contemporaries, secondary school came and went, and we got through it largely unscathed. But in February 1978, the forthcoming move up to secondary school seemed that little bit more daunting thanks to all the dramas shown at Grange Hill. Were you one of those not allowed to watch Grange Hill? Or were you a big fan? Or both? Who was your first Grainshield crush? Obviously, like many of my age, Trisha Yates and me. Let me know on our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com Tweet at 70s TV Childhood or you can email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com That's all we've got time for for now. So take care. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you again soon for more from my 70s TV childhood.